This week on Geek Explained, with the Superman film reboot announced, we're doing an in-depth profile on who may be the next cinematic Man of Steel. So join me as I Geek Explain the Superman of Earth 2, Val Zod. Welcome back to Geeksplained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is the latest edition of our Geeksplained series, where I take a specific character or team from the world of comics and I Geeksplain them to you. And this week, we're Geeksplaining Val Zod, the Superman of Earth 2 of the New 52. No idea if he's still kicking around there in the multiverse somewhere, but uh, if you didn't hear, and we'll cover this, of course, in our news segment, we might be getting a Superman film coming up that may feature the Kryptonian known as Val Zod. So we'll be covering his entire comic book history in this week's episode. We also have our latest weekly review on the newest episode of WandaVision and... Oh boy, WandaVision. We gotta talk about this for sure. And of course, we have this week's comics countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. We're going to kick things off with miscellaneous news, and uh, we got five pieces of news to talk about that I'm pretty excited about. First off, uh, it was announced that Star Wars Republic Commando, y'all remember Republic Commando? I do. I freaking loved that game, and it looks like we're getting a port, which is coming to the PS4 and the Switch. Um, I couldn't find a release state it might already be out but um this is pretty exciting for uh for longtime star wars fans who are kind of looking for something other than the battlefront experience uh republic command is a good time if you haven't played the game i would definitely check that out uh we also got some pretty exciting news from nickelodeon uh nickelodeon is launching avatar studios which is going to be helmed by the original creators of avatar the last airbender and this studio is going to be committed to essentially building out the uh, Avatar The Last Airbender universe, kind of in the same way that Marvel Studios is building out their universe, or has built out their universe, with different... um from what we understand, new shows, uh, films, they're going to kick things off with an animated theatrical film bringing back all of the original cast, from what we understand. Um, this is pretty exciting, and it's kind of a big middle finger to Netflix <laughs> after the uh, original creators left the Netflix adaptation of Avatar, which is just, from everything that I've heard from it, it just it sounds awful, just awful. So this is good news for everyone who's a fan of the uh, Avatar world, the Avatar-verse. Um, it's going to be, from what we understand, the studio is going to be committed to focusing on different projects, uh, 
taking place in that world, and that doesn't necessarily mean just with the original um, Avatar gang. It could be Aang, Korra, uh, Kiyoshi, give me a Kiyoshi film. Um, all different eras, all different times, places, so this is really exciting. You know how much of a fan I am of world building, and I can't wait to see where they go with this. Uh, in sad news, depending on how you feel about it, uh, it was announced that Kingdom Hearts, uh, basically Kingdom Hearts has had uh, a couple of different mobile games, Unchained uh, Key, we've had um, Dark Road that's most recent. Well, we found out recently that the mobile games will be ending in April. Um, this comes, you know, I don't think as much of a surprise. The Dark Road chapters were basically just supposed to kind of give us a, uh, a prequel, a uh, Xehanort prequel, kind of chronicling his stuff before he became the almighty uh, master of darkness. So we knew that there was, it was going to be a limited time, but the other one I'm a little surprised about i'm not gonna lie um it does seem like they're kind of ramping up towards the end of that story so i guess i shouldn't be super surprised about it but um we do know that the at least the japanese version is going to be ending um I think mid-April, and the uh, international version, the U.S. version, whatever, uh, is going to be wrapping up April 30th, I believe. So um, hopefully they wrap up that story because uh, we just—I I don't know. It's—it's it's funny we did a—we did an episode completely committed to that, uh, to that mobile game, and that was like. God, that was like halfway through the actual story of it. So we might need to do an update to that. So maybe maybe look out for that this coming year. Uh, in very exciting video game news, though, uh, PlayStation had its state of play this past week, and it was fine. There's nothing really there that I was super excited about until the end, because... Boys and girls, we got some Final Fantasy VII Remake news. I'm very excited about this. Um, we are getting official DLC for Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's dropping on June 10th, and it's featuring Yuffie! I know I am not the only person who, during the... Uh, during the game, when we ran across an NPC that said, oh, this dark girl, or this dark-haired girl stole my materia, we immediately thought Yuffie. But it ended up not being her, it ended up being this other girl who's an original character. Um, but Yuffie is showing up. They did a full, uh, full-on trailer showcasing what looks to be her story. It looks like her story is going to be her and this new character, Salon, who are... Um, going to be, I guess, spies for Wutai in Midgard during the events of the initial uh, remake chapter. So I'm very excited about this. The gameplay for Yuffie looks amazing. I'm super excited about it. It doesn't look like you can uh, switch between Yuffie and Salon like you could with the other characters, but there's going to be combo moves, and I'm very excited about that. It also dropped some, uh, some references to Dirge of Cerberus, which I'm less excited about, but I'm overall, I'm just, I'm really jazzed about this. Very, very excited. And it's not the only news we got for the Final Fantasy VII universe. Uh, they also announced, Square Enix did, that we are getting two new mobile games 
the first of which is going to be a game called Final Fantasy VII The First Soldier, uh, which is, I guess, supposed to be technically a prequel. It takes place 30 years prior to the initial events of the game and is going to depict the development of the soldier program. The only thing I'm not super jazzed about it is that it is a Battle Royale game. So it's... I, I don't know, man. I've never been a Battle Royale guy, but... I mean, it looks fine for what it is that's supposed to be dropping this year. The one that I'm excited about is Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis, which is going to be apparently a retelling of the entire chronological timeline of Final Fantasy VII. We're talking Final Fantasy VII. We're talking Crisis Core. We're talking Cerberus. We're talking Before Crisis. We're talking uh, Advent Children. We are getting a playable game version of Advent Children. It is going to be a mobile game. But what I love is that it's a throwback to the classic Final Fantasy VII presentation. So it's got, you know, the chibi uh, characters when you're on the world map, where you have the more detailed characters in combat. Um, I just think this is super cool. It's very, very exciting. It's not dropping until next year, but still, I am jazzed. And speaking of video games, if uh, you are a fan of the Dying Light game and are just very much anticipating Dying Light 2. Uh, good news for you and good news for me, very exciting news for me. Uh, this past week, you may have seen a trailer for some DLC for the first game. Uh, that is the Heron Tactical Unit. And my voice is in that trailer. I play all of the soldiers that are in the uh, trailer for this new DLC for Dying Light. I am super jazzed about this. I had a wonderful time recording it, and I hope you all enjoyed the trailer. So very, very exciting. Um, as a voice actor, it's always just incredible to hear your work actually um, put out there for people to listen to. So very, very excited about that. Oh, also... um about uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. They're getting a next-gen upgrade. So for the PlayStation 5, if you currently have the PS4 version of the game, you get the upgrade for free, which is awesome. Uh, also, if you are a PlayStation 5 owner who uh, just didn't have it before, you could buy it separately. But uh, that is going to allow you to play the Yuffie DLC. It doesn't look like uh, it's going to be available for the PlayStation 4 version of the game, which kind of sucks. But... Um, um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to play this. Uh, the official soundtrack is also dropping as well, which I'm stoked about. Uh, just good stuff. Good stuff all around with video games. Uh, jumping over now to TV news. Uh, we got five pieces here. First off, we found out that a Terminator anime series is apparently coming to Netflix. Okay, I guess. Um, that sounds cool. It sounds fun. It sounds like really the only thing that's left to do with the Terminator series. So uh, that should be interesting. Uh, speaking of adaptations, uh, we are also apparently getting a Halo show. If you are a fan of Halo, like I am, uh, it's coming to Paramount Plus in 2022. Sure. Uh, we're also getting uh, two pieces of Superman news, which I'm very, very excited about. First off, Superman the Animated Series, my childhood, is coming to HBO Max in HD. That's right, in high definition for the very first time on March 17th. So just a couple weeks away. Super stoked about that. Uh, we also had this past week... Uh, and by the time that this episode goes up, it'll be the second episode, uh, the premiere of Superman and Lois, which I absolutely adored. I loved every single moment of that show. It blew all of my expectations out of the water. I cannot wait to keep watching this series. I really, really dug it. And if you're a Superman fan, I think you will too. 
And actually, as I'm recording this right now, uh, I just looked on Twitter and it's already been renewed for season two. Um, I'm super excited about this. Really, really good stuff. Superman and Lois are finally back on our television screens and it looks like they're here to stay. And then finally in TV news, we got a release date for Loki, the Disney Plus show that is going to be coming out soon, is going to be dropping on Disney Plus on June 11th. Uh, this This lines up fairly well. I think, with um, everything else that is uh, slated to go on, I'm assuming, I think there's going to be a bit of a lull period, maybe like one to two weeks between Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki, but uh, still, very excited about this. Um, It's, I mean, Loki is, Tom Hiddleston is fantastic, and uh, I know the show's going to be great, I just don't know exactly what they're trying to accomplish with it, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, No comics news this week, which means we're going to round things out with film news. Two pieces of film news. Uh, First off, our third MCU Spider-Man film finally got a title. Uh, It was teased by by several members of the cast for different joke titles until they finally announced that the third Spider-Man title will be Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, it's fine. I was I was really holding out for Hometown Hero, but uh, No Way Home is, I, I think, just as good. Uh, we'll have to see. There's They dropped, like, three, like, totally nondescript um, uh, screen grabs from the film that tell us basically nothing except that um, Peter, MJ, and Ned are going to be skulking around in some hallway. But we'll just have to see. We'll see what happens. And then finally, we're going to round things out with probably the most exciting news uh, this past week, at least for me, right up there with the Final Fantasy VII Remake stuff and me being featured in a video game trailer. Um we are going to be getting a Superman reboot film. They have already, I don't know if it's been like officially announced, but it's been announced by places like Deadline, Variety, and such, that we are going to be getting a reboot for the Superman franchise, helmed by Ta-Nehisi Coates, who's going to be writing the script. You know how much I love Ta-Nehisi Coates. You know how much I love his Captain America run. Uh, it's so freaking good, and it's going to be produced by J.J. Abrams. Uh, there's also very heavy rumors that this is going to be helmed by an African-American Superman, which makes me incredibly excited. Um, there's just, I, I don't know, man. I'm very excited about the prospect of this. Uh, there's so many stories that you can tell with this character, with different versions of this character, that, you know, with all the backlash that it obviously got from just terrible people, um... I'm very excited about this. So uh, this really gives me just the um, the chance to be excited about other interpretations of Superman. Like, how could you not enjoy that? Uh, specifically with some of the incredible African-American Supermen we've gotten in the comics. We're talking Calvin Ellis. We're talking Val Zod. Um, and speaking of Val Zod, that's going to transition us right over to our main course, the entree, if you will, of this week's episode. If you are unfamiliar with some of the African-American Supermen, I'm going to give you a crash course as I geek explain the Superman of Earth 2 and potentially our next cinematic Superman, Val Zod.
so with the news surrounding a possible Superman reboot with a black Superman in the role, I have been just buzzing about the possibilities when you think of everything that they could do with this character. And a question that I've gotten from certain friends uh, since that news dropped is who I think... um, they're going to go with. And honestly, you know, there's so many characters, you know, throughout the history of Superman. We've seen different interpretations with him having a different skin color, him having a different character entirely. Um, DC Comics has been uh, on their Twitter, you know, touting Calvin Ellis. Uh, But the character that I think really is... uh, ready to be adapted and is tailor-made for a new take on Superman is a character who I don't think a whole lot of people know about, um, and that's Val Zod. Val Zod is the Superman of Earth 2 of the new 52, and a little bit of rebirth, we're gonna get into it, but, um, I thought to for this week's episode, I'd take the time and kind of geek-splain who Val Zod is, because he's an awesome character who I really do hope they take time to um, to look at and really, you know, give some thought to adapting this character, because there's so much you could do with him. Um, and I just, I really dig the character. I really dig that Earth 2 New 52 book. Uh, it's not perfect. In fact, it's far from perfect. But I really enjoy it. I really enjoy Valzad. So we're going to be talking Valzad. Of course, this is uh, the latest edition of our Geek Explain 101 series, where I take a character, I give you, you know, basically the rundown of them, as well as a history of this character so that you know what is going on with him. So let's go ahead and dive into it. First off, we're going to give you the basic rundown of the character. Uh, The character is, of course, Superman, also known as Val Zod or the Kryptonian. Made his first appearance in Earth 2, number 19, way back in the distant past of March 2014. That's right. This is probably the newest character that we've had in this series so far. Uh, But as new as he is, he's had a lot happen. So we're going to get into it. He was created by Tom Taylor, Nicholas Scott, and Robeson Roca. And his team affiliations include the Wonders of the World and later the Justice Society. That's right the wonders of the world are basically the justice society uh in all but name but they do eventually take that name pretty much at the 11th hour when it comes to the actual run of the comic Uh, his powers and abilities include solar energy absorption pretty much all of the standard kryptonian stuff heat vision super hearing enhanced vision which includes electromagnetic vision uh telescopic x-ray microscopic and infrared vision he can fly he's invulnerable at least when a yellow sun is out uh he's got superhuman stamina strength and speed and of course he has your trademark genius level intellect Uh, his weaknesses include kryptonite magic but he also uh, has agoraphobia or at least he starts off with agoraphobia which is a fear of open spaces again just some stuff that really sets him apart from clark right away but uh, let's just go ahead and dive into the history of the character so val zod was born on krypton and just like calvin ellis before him was born on vaplo island which is uh in different continuities krypton has a specific region where you will see uh darker skinned kryptonians 
And he was born to two scientist parents who were uh, very well respected in the scientific community. However, when they began to speak out against the threat, the looming threat of the planet about to be destroyed, both of his parents were executed by Krypton's court. Uh, he was then put into the um, the orphan system, the uh, system where he would befriend another recent orphan, Kara Zor-El. Uh, the two would grow inc incredibly close while in the foster system, and eventually uh, Valzad was taken in by Jor-El and Lara, the two of them basically treating him like their own son. Uh, when Krypton was eventually about to explode, Valzad was put into a pod alongside Kara alongside Kara, Kalal, and one other Kryptonian child that they never follow up on, ever. Um, and the four pods are sent out into space upon the destruction of the planet. Now, unlike uh, Kara, who went into basically a... Uh, a black hole, and Cal that went straight to Earth, uh, Valzad's pod was a little... Um, let's say, uh, a little slower than the other ones. He spent most of his formative years inside of his pod and inside of the capsule inside of it. So he, his entire world was just a little space as he kind of careened through the unknown. And during his time, while he was in his pod, he was uh, he spent most of his time listening to recordings of the teachings of his parents, which basically taught him pacifism. They basically taught that the uh, that violence was, in his own words, the stupidest way to solve a conflict. And so during this period, he took essentially what could be considered a vow of pacifism. Eventually, his pod did make its way to Earth, but upon arrival, it was found by one Terry Sloan. And Terry Sloan is just terrible. We're going to talk about it. But Terry Sloan took in the young Valzad and brought him to a secret government base underneath Arkham uh, for what he called protection, telling him that the outside world is dangerous and that he is the only human that he could that Valzad could trust. And though he did have, from what he understood, the opportunity to leave whenever he wanted, uh, he decided not to due to fear of those outside dangers. And so he spent most of his life in confined spaces, whether it was in his pod, you know, going from Krypton to Earth, or in this kind of underground bunker, which gave him, you know, this, essentially this warped perspective of what uh, life would be. He's, he thought everything outside of his protective bubble was essentially out to kill him, and so that's where he stayed for a uh, majority of the time. And before we get into the rest of his history, I want to do a quick interlude into Earth 2 of the New 52 era, because it is decidedly different from what most people understand Earth 2 to be. Earth 2, for most of comics history, most of DC Comics history, was kind of the golden age uh, Earth. That's where you would find uh, Jay Garrick, Alan Scott, the Justice Society of America, Stargirl, all of those characters uh, currently on the CW, in the CW Arrowverse, uh, Earth 2 is the place where the Justice Society existed. However, with the whole rebranding of the New 52, the big reboot after Flashpoint, uh, things changed, and we didn't get a whole lot of uh, spotlight on other Earths 
with uh, Earth Zero essentially being the new uh, New 52 Earth. But Earth 2 was a decidedly different Earth than not just the New 52 main Earth, but also the Earth 2 of the past. Uh, this Earth was initially protected by what the so-called Wonders of the World, which were eight individuals, of course, headed up by our Trinity, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman alongside uh, two others that we had the sidekicks essentially which were uh, Supergirl uh, and Robin who were Helena Bertinelli Helena Bertinelli I don't know why that name is always so hard for me as well as Kara who would later on become uh, Huntress and Power Girl respectively uh, there were also three others that were um, that I don't believe were ever really um, uh, expanded upon outside of one that being terry sloan who in this universe was known as mr eight classically before um the new 52 happened terry sloan was the original um uh, mr terrific before um who we now know the much better mr terrific is and he was the one who inspired the second mr terrific to take up the name uh during this time though they were basically you know kind of the defenders of the world until the invasion where dark side's forces headed up by steppenwolf arrived to take over the planet very similar to a lot of the uh justice league war the new 52 justice league origin um the, the zack snyder's justice league all that stuff uh and during this initial invasion that lasted for a couple years i think it was a whole war campaign um for the final push to try and drive out Steppenwolf and defend the Earth against the Apocalyptic invaders, our Trinity was killed, seemingly, during this final push. Uh, Helena and Kara were trapped on Earth Zero, and during the final months of the campaign, uh, Terry Sloan was exposed as a villain because he was able to, because he was one of the smartest people on the Earth, he decided to use his smarts to take the fire pits, which had been developed by the uh, Apocalyptic invaders, and basically were littered throughout the world to not only enslave um, the human population and turn them into parademons, but also to get the ready planet ready to become a new apocalypse. Um, Terry Sloan figured out the technology to detonate those fire pits and did so on at multiple locations killing the human uh the human slaves that were there and turning him essentially into what many considered to be the world's first supervillain uh upon being discovered that he was doing this he popped over to another world to bide his time and five years passed after this after the wonders defended the earth and gave their lives in service of it and during those five years uh, the world government really kind of kicked into high gear when it came to policing, when it came to uh, connecting and making and privatizing their military. But five years later, we saw the resurgence of new wonders, this being The Flash, Jay Garrick, uh, Alan Scott, Green Lantern, Hawkgirl, Dr. Fate, Adam, the Sandman, and they were joined later on by Mr. Miracle and Barda and were... Uh, Eventually, joined by the Mr. Terrific from Earth Zero, from our prime New 52 Earth. And these wonders faced down uh, enemies such as Solomon Grundy and were kind of 
it was weird because they were uh, not sanctioned by this world government, so they were on the run most of the time as well. But they were really starting to usher in a new age of, as they called it, a new age of wonders. A new age of young superheroes trying to save the world. And unfortunately, this... Uh, attracted the attention of Steppenwolf who returned with a renewed invasion to take at, to you know take a second stab at trying to claim the world for dark side uh, during this period we start started to see the return of some familiar faces we got a new Batman who was this world's version of Thomas Wayne who was not quite the flashpoint style Batman but was a uh, a Batman who essentially had his own, you know, messed up past where he, you know, survived the gunning down of himself and Martha and went into hiding. Um, and eventually once our, uh, our version or this version of Bruce Wayne was killed during the initial invasion of Apocalypse, became a Batman himself, juiced up on Miraclo, which is essentially a, uh, a, I guess, uh, time limit version of venom you basically juice yourself up it's a steroid that gives you super strength super speed and all that stuff for a sh for a limited time uh basically for an hour as i understand it and we also got to see uh, the return of jimmy olsen who was apparently a uh, super intelligent character called the accountable who was imprisoned for leaking uh, secrets about the world government and some of its corruption. We also got to see this world's version of Lois Lane, who was killed during the Dark Side invasion and was turned into this world's version of Red Tornado by her father. And we got to see alongside Steppenwolf him bring in some muscle, that being one of them, which was named Brutal. Now, Brutal, that's... Uh, B-R-U-T-double-A-L, because he's extreme. Uh, Brutal ended up killing Steppenwolf and taking charge of the Apocalypse Invasion and revealed himself to be supposedly a reanimated Superman who had been indoctrinated into uh, Darkseid's service. And this Superman started to wreak havoc on the world because who's going to stand up to Superman? Uh, during the initial, um, basically his initial campaign, raising the world, our wonders heard of an underground bunker underneath Arkham Asylum where they were keeping prisoners of the uh, world government. This is where they did find Jimmy Olsen, and he was the one who basically told them, hey, there's something else down here. It's the reason that I got put away down here. We got to find him. And as they ripped open the doors to this underground bunker, they found Val Zod, who was terrified because he has no idea what's going on uh, outside of his bunker. Stepping outside uh, of his, you know, protective bubble for the very first time, it was revealed that Val, you know, suffered from agoraphobia. He was afraid of, you know, large spaces anything outside of his you know confined space was terrifying to him and so they really our wonders were kind of disappointed in what they came to find because they thought that Valzad was going to be their trump card against this new you know evil superman but after bonding with lois a little bit the two of them 
you know, were able to find some common ground where Val was like, I am, you know, this alien who is terrified of the outside world. And Lois is like, I am some kind of consciousness put into an android. And I I don't even know if I consider myself to be alive. Super, just really, really cool uh, conversation that the two have. And the two of them kind of bond and, you know, Lois brings him outside and starts to get him charged with, you know, the solar radiation. So she takes him out flying. And unfortunately, this draws the attention of Brutal, who attacks both of them, brutally beating down Val, who hasn't yet um, gotten enough of the sun's rays to be invulnerable. Uh, Lois gives herself up to Superman to spare Val Zod, and so... She is taken away by him. Following this, as the invasion kind of ramps up, uh, Val has this conversation with Jimmy, who basically tells him, like, look, like, the world's ending and we need a Superman, and you're kind of it. And Val kind of removes his hoodie to reveal a Superman suit of his own. Incredible design by Nicholas Scott. Uh, Just all blue. We've got the white shield with the red backing, white cape. Uh, white bands and a cool little you know those cool that um that original uh wally west flash belt it's kind of similar to that except it just doesn't mean in the middle such a clean look just so freaking cool and visually distinctive from the classic superman and even more so from this brutal uh you know super edgelord redesign and He basically said, like, I didn't want to show this because I don't want to be anybody's savior. I just, I'm just a guy, like, who wants to, you know, live a simple life. And Jimmy's like, you have no idea how familiar you sound to me. (laughs) Uh, Following this conversation, Dr. Fate shows up, who uh, in this world was uh, Khalid, a teenager, essentially, who was given the helm of fate and putting the... uh, Putting the helmet onto Val, he was kind of awakened to the threat of uh, Apocalypse, of Dark Side, of Brutal, of everything. And so he takes the helmet off, he gives it back to Khalid, and he's like, I'm going to go be Superman. And so he flies, you know, having finally been supercharged by the rays of the sun, he flies out to help out Green Lantern, who at the time was... Um, out in the Earth's atmosphere, dealing with the, uh, you know, this boom tube opening up, trying to bring Apocalypse to Earth. Uh, it's a whole mess, man. Like, Earth 2, Earth 2, you know, World's End, Earth, all just, all of it is just, it's a huge bombastic mess that does not wait for you as a reader to catch up. It just goes with its story. Uh, but... Uh, Val does end up flying up there to assist Alan Scott and then heads down back to Earth to confront Brutal. Uh, The two of them have a quick, uh, a very quick, in fact, confrontation where uh, Cal doesn't seem to be able to damage this newly supercharged Val Zod. He, like, punches him and his fist starts to crack. He gives him a headbutt. His face starts to crack. And we realize that this isn't, in fact, a revival. Superman it is a bizarro clone as he starts to crumble and fade he starts to lose some of his intelligence saying like me am Superman like it's very clear that this is a flawed uh, clone by Desaad servant of Darkseid to you know try and recreate the Kryptonian that they battled five years ago 
And the two of them uh, basically have this defining moment for Val where he, you know, in all intents and purposes, stands tall over the previous Superman before uh, Lois uses her red tornado powers to blow uh, to blow away the dust that remains from this bizarro clone. Following this, Val is able to uh, reunite with Kara, who had just made her way back to Earth alongside Helena, who has now taken the role of Power Girl and Helena huntress of course the two of them having not seen each other since the destruction of krypton so we're talking decades at this point the two of them reunite and are able to um kind of rekindle not just their friendship but the love that the two of them had for each other uh really starting off as kids the second wave of uh, of the invasion doesn't give them much time to reunite though as the four horsemen or horsewomen uh, called the Furies of course of Apocalypse show up uh, we get a war, a famine, a pestilence and a death of course uh, and the first one that they face is Kali who is the essentially the horsewoman of war uh, who seems to be Tamaranian might be this, this Earth's version of Starfire it's never really followed up on but Kali is just a monster who is not only a just ruthless killer, but also if she's able to strike you with her axe is able to turn you against your own friends. And so uh, they're able to turn her away just barely and head into a brand new fire pit that is developed on Earth. The original fire pits were uh, decommissioned, the ones that weren't detonated. And to try and figure out how to stop this invasion, Val goes into one of these newly relit fire pits alongside Kara, Helena, Lois, and the new Batman. And they find inside of this uh, fire pit a cloning facility where they find multiple different dead and flawed clones of Superman. And they end up finding the original Superman, who is seemingly alive somehow, drained of all of his power and having been used as essentially this guinea pig that they would take bits and pieces from to create these super flawed and disgusting clones however during this time uh, Helena is captured by Dasad and turned into a fury herself mutated beyond all recognition and she attacks the party uh, Dasad also reveals that this new invasion force, the parademons, the new fire pits, are uh, essentially powered by the avatar of the Red, Yolanda Montez. It's it's a lot. There's a lot that I'm throwing at you, a lot of concepts. Basically, avatar of the Red, kind of similar to Swamp Thing, avatar of the Green, uh, control over animals, living beings, and stuff. So the reason that Desaad has had such control and able to uh, create all of these different creatures and everything is because he's able to use the powers of the avatar of the red um cal however uh does end up sacrificing himself to not only disconnect yolanda but corrupt the machine thanks to his uh pure line kryptonian dna and it heavily slows down the invading force as well as um, disabling all of the fire pits. However, in doing so, he does give the last of his life to uh, to this end. They're able to escape, though Helena is still a uh, 
uh, controlled member of Darkseid's invasion force. Uh, Val does end up taking Cal's body and buries uh, his body beside this really beautiful tree. Uh, Lois, who found a bit of Cal's original costume, gives Kara his S-shield and doing so she goes from power girl to superwoman and the two of them with their renewed sense of purpose go and face down the remaining furies uh defeating them proves no easy feat but they are able to do it with the combined forces of the other wonders of the world and unfortunately it is all for naught because uh during a kind of side story with uh, Mr. Miracle and some other uh, wonders, Darkseid is reawakened, and he begins his invasion, basically getting ready to turn the planet into a new uh, apocalypse. So the wonders, all of our heroes are basically like, okay, the Earth is just... The Earth is done. Like, we need to focus on evacuating people and getting them out of here. So Val and Kara go to essentially fight the Terraformer, which is this sentient biological satellite that gets the planet ready to be turned into an Apocalypse clone. And they're able to stall it enough to divert the rest of the parademon forces to attacking them um so they're battling through these hordes of uh, parademons while the other heroes are trying to evacuate the rest of the earth's population which brings the ire of dark side val and kara face down dark side who is just able to run through them like dark side is just too much for everybody on earth too and it is pretty clearly established that this is a losing effort and that they are just buying time for everybody to get out of there so um Val alongside Green Lantern, Flash, uh, This World's Dick Grayson and a couple other heroes stay behind while Kara and a and a uh, saved and uh, revived Helena are able to escape with many with the rest of the Earth's population as they basically face down dark side the remaining forces the world is getting turned into this new uh, terraformed apocalypse and they make their valiant last stand there's this blinding white light and it looks like all is lost however this isn't the end of Val's story because he, alongside the the remaining heroes that stayed behind on Earth 2, were summoned by Telos to a planet of his own design alongside uh, other bottled cities from the various worlds of the multiverse. Because here we are, it's Convergence. It's Convergence time, everybody. Everyone's favorite new 52 event. Um, but... Uh, all is not go going according to Telos's plan because they were supposed to be brought alongside the uh, Earth 2 metropolis, which is way th where they made their last stand against Darkseid. Um, uh, it didn't work out, though, because that world was essentially destroyed and turned into a new apocalypse. So these characters were just brought over to this world without a city, which even though it didn't give them a place to fight for, gave them the freedom of being able to tra traverse the rest of the planet. They ended up running afoul of Telos, who didn't like uh, that he had these rogue agents operating in his battle world. Uh, the members of this crew were able to rebel against him and escape, where they found another... Um, 
rogue agent, that being Deimos, who came from another world that was taken from the multiverse. Uh, Deimos wanted to free Brainiac, who uh, had created, or at least what was thought to be, had created Telos, but it was revealed that Telos was another character from another Earth that Brainiac essentially enslaved. Telos then used his powers to not just rebel against Brainiac, but also to try and defeat Deimos. However, during all of this, all of the remaining cities that, you know, made up Convergence essentially just started going, you know, they said chaos reigns and they started going to war with everyone else. Uh, during this, Parallax, a Hal Jordan from, the, from another Earth, killed Deimos just as... Brainiac arrived. Brainiac arrives and he's basically like, the multiverse is messed up. I'm messed up. I need you guys to go back to your Earths and fix this. Um, which gave us the rebirth of the multiverse. Not that rebirth. We're getting to that later. Um, and resulted in Telos terraforming the current planet that they were on, creating a new Earth for our crew to... Uh, essentially settle and colonize just as the survivors of earth two in their ships made it to this planet it's it's a lot it's it's a lot i understand it's it doesn't make any sense but uh, it gets a little bit more focused from here on out because with this new earth came a second chance for earth two to thrive uh this all kicked off with planet fall for these uh, ships. These different ships uh, landed at different points on the planet, which gave them their starting point to make different colonies and different nations. Uh, this planet also seemed to have two suns, a red and yellow sun. So for a brief period during the day, uh, both Kara and Val were powerless. However, they decided to make the best of their current situation, and they used the remains of one of the ships to build Neotropolis, a new version of Metropolis that they uh, helped to not only establish and build, but also help govern. However, everything was kind of turned on its head when about, I think, six months into this new uh, way of life, Terry Sloan showed back up because you just, you can't get rid of him. He's a cockroach. Um, and while hunting Terry Sloan down, Sloan revealed that Val Zod, during his, um, I don't know if you could call it imprisonment, but we're going to call it imprisonment, uh, underneath Arkham Asylum, he helped Terry to develop he helped Sloan develop the uh, the technology to detonate the fire pits. So um, Kara, who had to live through watching these fire pits get detonated, uh, just broke it off with Val out of a rage, and the two of them um, parted ways. Following this, Val built what he called the City of Crossroads, where uh, he could just kind of make it this uh, the safe haven for people to kind of uh, be at peace. Essentially, it was like a citywide monastery that Val made to kind of you know seclude himself. It wasn't quite a fortress of solitude because there were tons of other people there, but it was in essence the same kind of thing. One year passes and uh, Val is confronted in his city by Batman who is at this point Dick Grayson uh, for the murder of Terry Sloan because during this time Terry Sloan resurfaced and was in possession of the Genesis machine or 
Genesis device, whatever you want to call it, the Genesis engine, I think it's called, uh, and he was murdered during this uh, initial scuffle, and the Genesis machine was taken. Uh, after convincing Batman that he wasn't to blame, uh, he saved Neotropolis from a falling satellite, that being Overwatch 1, and it was revealed that the person who not only murdered Terry Sloan but also was in possession of the Genesis engine was Jimmy Olsen, who had been given basically godlike uh, abilities thanks to a mother box bonding with him. I Again... Earth 2 is super weird. And he had partnered up with this world's version of Anarchy, Johnny Sorrow, and a new Our Man uh, hopped up on Miraclo himself to try and remake the world in Jimmy Olsen's image. Uh, they were able to eventually defeat uh, Jimmy Olsen in the streets of New Gotham, and Olsen was sealed inside of the Source Vault by Green Lantern. Uh, following this, though, and during the year where they were trying to settle this world, uh, they found out that maybe the these citizens of this new Earth didn't want uh, these wonders to be helping them out. Anti-wonder sentiment was growing because many uh, civilians saw that their whole destruction of their world was essentially caused by the wonders presence there they saw that you know the five years we were at peace and then these wonders showed up and oh god it's dark side again so uh, a lot of that anti-superhero sentiment was growing and at the same time they were discovering that they had some resource troubles because even though this planet looked like an identical copy of the original earth 2 it was essentially just a facade. It was skin deep. There were no natural resources on this planet. It was essentially a barren rock. And so during this whole summit that they decide to have, Val steps down as Superman because he says, like, maybe these people are right. Maybe, you know, we shouldn't be trying to govern them and rule over them because we have superpowers. We should be trying to figure out what they need and how we can help them. So he decides to step down, returns to his city of Crossroads, and uh, just as tensions begin to rise, uh, things are starting, you know, the leaders of these different colonies are starting to uh, get ready to go to war with each other over the limited resources they have. Uh, Val is visited by Alan Scott, who has, because of his... Uh, near omnipotent power that he's gained from the Green Lantern has become essentially kind of detached from human beings. Very Dr. Manhattan-like. Um, and the two of them have this simple just person-to-person -person conversation where uh, Val essentially gives Alan Scott the idea to give up his... Uh, his Green Lantern powers. Alan Scott does so where he uses his Green Lantern ring to essentially power the Earth to give them, if not natural resources, synthetic versions so that they can survive and hopefully thrive over time. However, we find out that this was all just a uh, a long ruse, a long a long game plan by a villain who would be striking very quickly. Uh, after all of this uh, drama about natural resources and everything, we do get a second summit of the Wonders where the remaining heroes show up. Uh, Valzad does show up, but not as Superman, just as someone who has superpowers. Um, and they are met by Fury, who is the daughter of Steppenwolf and Wonder Woman, somehow. We're not going to get into it because it's kind of dumb, um, but... 
Fury has her own, uh, she calls herself, you know, the Amazons who have taken control of one of the colonies. And she reveals that she is in possession of something called the Pandora Casket, which is apparently an artifact powerful enough to rewrite reality. Uh, this is when the Ultra Humanite shows up and strikes, revealing that he was the mastermind behind Alan Scott giving up his power so that he could try and take over the world, take possession of the Pandora Casket, and remake the world in his image. Uh, during this battle, though, uh, Alan Scott does regain possession of the Green Lantern Ring thanks to the mind control of the Ultra Humanite. Alan Scott is pitted against the rest of the uh, Wonders and pretty handily is kicking their ass until Valzad is able to remind him of his humanity. Alan Scott is able to overcome Ultra Humanite's um, uh, influence and is poised to defeat him when Fury decides to open Pandora's casket anyway, which brings everything once again into a blinding white light. As we round out the uh, the final act, essentially, of Valzad and the rest of our heroes on Earth 2, uh, they find themselves in what seems to be a ghost world, where it looks like an echo, a black and white ethereal echo version of their original Earth 2 home, but they can't uh, interact with it. All the heroes are able to uh, come back together and they figure out that the Pandora Casket remade Earth 2 based on the idealized memories of it from the, uh, from the people present. However, it is uh, revealed that this new world is controlled by a, um, by a shady organization called Central Control, which is headed up by the Ultra Humanite, who apparently uh, adapted to this world much quicker than everyone else and was able to put place himself in a position of power. Uh, the Ultra Humanite is ultimately defeated by the returning heroes, where uh, Valzad does retake the mantle of Superman. And at the end of this story, with a brand new Earth that they can help govern as well as, or they can help not govern, but uh, protect as well as being able to kind of settle into their own lives finally, because everything just kind of went so quickly in this Earth 2 book, um, the, the heroes rejoin together and become officially the Justice Society. And that is where Valzad's story ends. We haven't gotten any follow-up. We do know, uh, following Rebirth, that this Earth is out there somewhere, but we haven't gotten a follow-up since then. And seemingly, that's kind of the end of Valzad's story in the comics. Uh, if we want to talk about some recommended reading, I do have that for you here. And it's basically, it's all of the books that he pops up in. Uh, Earth 2 by James Robinson, Tom Taylor, Nicholas Scott. If you want to start off and get the whole story of Earth 2, you can start off with Volume 1. But if you just want to start off with where Valzad shows up, start at Volume 4. Uh, volume 4, 5, and 6 is where you're going to get Valzad fighting for Earth 2 and eventually Eventually, or initially scuffling with the Bizarro Superman. Uh, if you want to continue on with his efforts to try and defend Earth 2 and ultimately uh, be defeated by Darkseid, you can check out Earth 2 World's End by Daniel H. Wilson, Marguerite Bennett, uh, Eddie Barrows, and many others. Uh, you, I, I have a hard time recommending Convergence uh, because I enjoyed the tie-ins 
much more than I enjoyed the main story, which isn't to say it's bad, it just, it's not good, which I know is confusing. But if you do want to kind of chronologically follow along with Valzad's story, pick up the main Convergence book. I believe it's five or six issues, um, and that kind of gives you what you need to know going into the uh, final recommended reading which is earth to society it's the follow-up to earth to uh earth to society by uh daniel wilson dan abnett george jimenez and bruno redondo as uh, where we get this new earth that the uh that the wonders settle on we get all the drama with uh alan scott the ultra humanite and eventually them remaking their earth before they become the justice society but there's one more thing I want to talk about because I got a question on Twitter from uh, our good buddy Zach, uh, Zach Jackson of the uh, On the Subject podcast. Shout out to him and that podcast. They are wonderful. If you're not subscribed to them, go and do so. They're amazing. Uh, he asked me who I would see in the role, and I had to think about it for a little bit. I was too excited because he asked me right when I found out the news, and I had to give myself a little bit of time to think about it. But um, I have come up with my list, a top five of the actors I would like to see portray Valzad if they do end up going with that version of the character. And even though it does kind of seem like uh, DC Comics may be leaning towards Calvin Ellis, who is a whole nother whole nother character with his own uh, stories and whatnot. I do think that uh, I would be more interested in Valzad, but that's just me personally. So I thought of the five actors who I could see playing the role. And of course, at number five, and I have these listed on who I would most like to see in these roles. Um, at number five, uh, Michael B. Jordan. I think he is the most obvious choice. He's the one that everyone fan casts. Uh, he's the name that has popped up anytime they've talked about an African-American Superman. Um, he's the easiest choice, but I do think there are others that I would rather see. Um, I've... And that's not to say that I wouldn't want to see him. All five of these actors I would love to see in that role, and I would celebrate if they were casted as Valzad. But I think Michael B. Jordan is the easiest and the safest option, just because he's a known commodity, he's a star. Um, I love Michael B. Jordan, but I do think that there are better options. Uh, at number four, I have Jesse T. Usher, who you may be familiar with from The Boys, as well as his starring role in Independence Day Resurgence. You know what? Forget that second one. The Boys. He plays A-Train on The Boys. He's fantastic. I love his work on that show, and he's someone who I think you could cast in this role and he could do really well with. Uh, at number three, I have John Boyega. John Boyega deserves so much better than what he got as Finn in the Star Wars films, and I think if they you know, went around and hired him for this, I think it would be awesome. John Boyega could absolutely carry it, and he you know, has that kind of scrappy underdog energy, which if you do end up having, you know, Valzad have to play to another Superman, I think would work really well. At number two, I have Eli Gorey, who might be the most unknown out of the five. Uh, if you're familiar with him, you would be from his work on the CW. He's been on Riverdale. He's been on a couple other CW shows. He was on Ballers, which is how I was introduced to him. He's wonderful on that. And most recently, he played Muhammad Ali in the film One Night in Miami, which I really enjoyed. Uh, directed by Regina King. Um, 
super, super good. It's on Amazon Prime, so if you want to get familiar with him, if you want to watch the film, I absolutely think you should. Check that out on Amazon Prime. It should be available now. That's at least where I watched it. Um, but he's fantastic. He's got great physicality. He's got that kind of Kryptonian build that a lot of people want to see. And I think he's just, he's a star on the rise. He's somebody who hasn't really... Ha I don't think personally has really had like that breakout role yet, and this could be for him. He's a wonderful actor, lots of, like I said, great physicality, which could be used in fight scenes. You know, I'm a sucker for boxers uh, and that kind of boxing fighting style, so I'm, I think he could be great. But the one who I think would fit the most, the one who I, uh, the one actor who I think could absolutely carry a franchise unto himself is Jovan Adepo. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, you might be familiar with his work on HBO's Watchmen. Uh, he played Hooded Justice, the young version, during the episode, specifically during the episode, um, oh, shoot, what is it called? Um, let me look at this i'm gonna vamp a second as i look up it's i want to get this right because this is my this is my favorite episode of the entire series uh this extraordinary being basically going through the um the entire history of hooded justice he is fantastic uh you might also be familiar with him during his work on overlord as well as the leftovers he is an incredible actor so freaking good you could give him literally anything and he can you know make a masterpiece out of it and giving him this role would be just oh it'd be amazing i would love to see him in this role making the jump uh into you know from watchmen into a superman role i mean come on he essentially played the watchmen version of superman in uh in hbo's watchmen anyway um i just think it would be fantastic and so those are my five fan casts for him overall i am really excited about the potential of valzad you know showing up in the dc films i think this is a really exciting time to be a superman fan and no matter who it ends up being no matter who ends up becoming superman where they take this i think this is going to be a fantastic fantastic time to be a superman fan and i really do hope that under the uh writing of Tanahisi Coates under the producing capabilities of J.J. Abrams that they once again can make you believe that a man can fly It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we're reviewing episode number eight of WandaVision entitled Previously On. And oh my God, guys. Oh my God. I, I, have, I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts about this episode. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to tell you them. I'm going to tell you them. Uh, but the episode kicks off with kind of a backstory for Agatha, giving us essentially what you need to know for Agatha Harkness and that she was a witch during the Salem witch trials that she uh, essentially killed the rest of her coven in pursuit of power and she reveals to Wanda that you know 
she has not indeed been behind it all along in that she was kind of trying to wake up Wanda that Wanda had done this had created this whole bubble around Westview and she had gone in to try and wake her up to try and reveal herself and this was kind of why she was meddling throughout the show so I'm glad overall that they didn't go with it being Agatha pulling the strings I like that because I felt that even though it was a cool reveal and the Agatha all along I really thought that if they went that direction it would kind of diminish Wanda and her journey so I'm glad they didn't decide to do that but what they did do in this episode was really focus on the idea of trauma and loss and really I mean that's what the whole show's been about but this episode in particular really put a spotlight on Wanda's trauma on her loss of vision on the loss of really her life and we get to go through this cool trip down memory lane with uh wanda i thought you know talking about last episode that the doors that were in um that were in agatha's little wondagore uh dungeon basement were potentially doors to other realities but it seems like these doors opened up thanks to you know Agatha's magic to memories of Wanda. I'm not sure if that's specifically what the doors are for, but that's what they were used for in this episode. And we flash to uh, five different periods in Wanda's life. Uh, the first one was Wanda's childhood, where it is revealed that her love of sitcoms came from her her dad basically getting these like bootleg black market copies of stuff like Dick Van Dyke, uh, I Love Lucy, and all these shows, and that's how they kind of learned English. And I think that's that's so fascinating, and I think it's really cool because I've heard stories like that. You know, there are members of my family who have, you know have those same kind of stories so it's really cool to see that represented uh but the big revelation here is and i got this feeling i got this feeling in my gut when they were they all sat down to watch dick van dyke and they're having this nice time and wanda smiles and i'm like oh no and exactly as i thought it the freaking missile hits their apartment um the stark missile they described you know the scene in uh, age of ultron where, you know, they were at home, the first missile came in, caved in their apartment building, the second missile landed, and it was a dud. And what I thought was interesting, and I always thought it was interesting, is that that bomb never went off, and why it didn't go off. Because that, you know, that always struck me as odd, but I kind of just glanced past it, I never really thought about it. But this episode made me rethink that, because we know that Stark Tech works, Every single time that Stark has ever used, you know, every time that Tony ever built something, it worked. Whether or not, you know, it was intended to or not, it always worked. And the missile that came in, which seemingly was a dud, was much more like Hammer Tech style, where it was like it was a 50-50 shot. But um, Agatha brings it up, like, like, you used probability magic to, like, stop that thing from exploding, and one is like, no, 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 like, I didn't, no, it was just, it was, it was a dud, it was a faulty thing, and I'm like, oh, they mentioned probability magic, and you know how hyped I got hearing that, I was like, oh, man, pro probability magic, and then the second door was to uh, the experimentation that uh, Hydra 
committed Wanda and Pietro to. Uh, we got to see Wanda interact with the Mind Stone for the first time, which apparently just like broke out of the scepter and showed her a vision of her future self as the Scarlet Witch. I loved it, um, whether it was on her head, whether it actually happened and it was just like blocked from view from the uh, scientists. I don't know. But either way, it was regarded as her, you know, quote unquote, surviving the experiments. And that's how she got her abilities um, or not or not. Perhaps, though it does bring up an interesting question how Pietro got his abilities. Um, it could be, I guess, surmised that Wanda had a bit of tampering in that itself, but who knows? Maybe we'll get answers on that. Maybe we won't. Who knows? Uh, but then the next door was her first, I think, kind of bonding moment with Vision. It was like right after Age of Ultron, where she's watching, once again, she's watching uh, Malcolm in the Middle. And... Um, She's watching it in a room and Vision pops up and they have this really nice moment where, um, you know, Juan is still grieving Pietro because he was her rock. He was the only person from her past life. And now that she didn't have him, she felt like she didn't have anything. And she felt like she was drowning in, you know, just sadness. And her and Vision have this first real bonding moment. It's the beginning of that flame between them. And I loved it. And I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to say it. I'm, I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a second. There's a line here, okay? where Vision says something incredibly profound, where he basically tells her, like, what is grief but love persevering? And I got really, really hit by that line in the moment. Um, because I've dealt with stuff like that. You know, grief is a terrible thing. Grief is, uh, will sneak up on you. Grief will sit with you for a while and kind of, you know giving a different perspective on it, I thought was not only um, a great way to kind of narratively tie Wanda and Vision together, but also um, to continue the discussion about trauma and loss and grief and mental health. And I was really excited when other people felt that same way. You know, I got to hear people really get hit by that line and how much it affected them emotionally and then, of course, because Twitter does what it does, I started to see over the following days people trying to dunk on it, people trying to be like, oh, you know, it's just, you know, fluffy, stupid shit. And I got really mad. I, like, mad. Um, because I'm just, I'm tired of it, you know? I'm, I'm fucking, I'm, I'm tired of it. If you, like, want to dunk on people for enjoying something or finding meaning in something, then, like, why watch it why discuss it like who cares like i it made me so mad that like people can be just so tone deaf to the fact that yes it is this you know giant you know conglomerate company yes it is stories intentionally made for children yes it is something that is made by disney and commercial and like you know it's not some kind of avant-garde you know thing but it fucking it matters it doesn't make it any less good it doesn't drop its value it doesn't make it any less profound to try and you know say something about grief and how you can push past it by recontextualizing it so like if you honestly like i don't know if th this is this is 
not aimed towards people who are enjoying it. But, like, if you honestly looked at that and you're like, ew, cringe, like, just get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm just, no, I don't care. Like, it's, and I don't like to be like that. I don't like to be, like, um, aggressive like that. But it's just, it's not, not about it. I'm not about it. I'm not going to tolerate it. It's, like, it's dumb. And this is one of Marvel's first big forays into actually getting into grief and getting into topics like this. And having reactions like this is going to push back against any kind of efforts to continue that conversation when it comes to media like this. So you are not doing anyone favors by pretending, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm so cool because I'm dunking on something that other people find value in. Just get the fuck out of here. Um, sorry, just tangent over, rant over. Um, but we got to see in the, uh, in the final door, continuing on, sorry. Um, we got to see in the final door, the actual moment when Wanda went to sword headquarters to, as Hayward described to us in a previous episode, abduct vision's body, but it doesn't exactly go like that. It doesn't, because Wanda goes there, she meets with Hayward, who basically reveals to her, like, we're not just going to let you leave with four, I think he said like four billion dollars worth of vibranium, which is a lot of money, uh, just to put it in the ground, as he says, because she wants to bury him, you know, that's her love, that's the love of her life, and Wanda, like, sees that they're, like, dissecting him and pulling him apart, and she busts open the glass uh, between her and the room. She goes down there, and it looks like Hayward is going to allow her to try to revive him. And she tries to do so, but she gives us, oh, this heartbreaking line that calls back to Infinity War, where she's like, I don't feel you. And she sees that it's just, it's not him anymore. It's not. And so she leaves without vision's body and we see her get back in her car she looks at this envelope that seems to point her to westview she drives to westview and she sees when she gets to this like kind of vacant lot she opens up the um the letter and it's a deed vision had bought them a place to build a house and she is standing there in the middle of this um in the middle of this plot of land and it just you know it hits her it hits her and uh, okay um if i'm emotional it's because i have emotions and they are trying to tell a story that kind of hits home with me because grief happens and grief will hit you when you least expect it and uh, we get to see Wanda finally, like, just the weight of all the loss that she's suffered, all of the um, terrible things that she's lived through finally just weigh on her, and she just kind of crumbles to the ground. And in that moment, she loses control, and her powers just erupt out of her, turning the entire town into that 50s uh, Dick Van Dyke uh, reality inside of the hex the house builds itself and out of her we see the power just kind of like exploding out of her this red scarlet power just erupting out of her but we also start to see this yellow energy emanating out of her and taking shape and taking form across the living room from her and this develops and generates and turns into vision which kind of you know shines a light on why he couldn't leave the hex because he is a construct 
built and created by Wanda. And so he can only survive inside that hex. That's why he was being pulled apart when he was trying to leave. Uh, which begged the question for me exactly how she was able to do that. Because yes, she has reality warping powers. She has probability warping powers. But it looked like, at least to me, that when she had that moment with the uh, with the Mind Stone in the Hydra flashback, the Mind Stone seemingly imprinted onto her, and so maybe that's why she had such a connection with Vision, why the two of them were able to um, uh, interact with each other's powers. You know, Wanda was able to control his density in Civil War, um, and the two of them, you know, had this, you know, kind of, not power-sharing bond, but this kind of um, otherworldly connection and how she was able to reconstruct him using her memories and her bond with him. So um, it was just, it was incredible. And it was just a character study on how much uh, how much trauma a person can take before they just, they lose it. And it was very, very cool. I really liked it. Um but the episode wrapped up with Wanda finally r realizing, you know, it coming full circle to the beginning of this show. And she runs outside of Agatha's house and we see her in her, like, her best Halloween town glory. <laughs> I know, it's terrible. That's immediately what I thought. Um, her best Halloween town, you know, um, uh, what was it? Uh, Hocus Pocus gear. And she's got both uh, Billy and Tommy, you know, by the neck with her powers and very subtly and i loved this billy and tommy are in uh uh clothes that resemble their wicked and speed costumes uh billy's shirt is very uh clearly color blocked to resemble wiccan's costume um tommy is wearing this like green track jacket with white stripes again echoing uh speed's white and green costume i just i love little touches like that the costuming department again chef's kiss so good but um agatha reveals she's like this amount of creation this amount of magical ability people can't do this like you're supposed to be a myth this is chaos magic and she says the lines which makes you the scarlet witch we got it we got them we got them it's the scarlet witch officially that is it the scarlet witch is confirmed and that's where the episode ends and i shouted at the screen i was so mad um because i can't wait till this friday i can't wait to see this next episode i'm very very excited about it and then even more so on top of that we got the mid credit scene because it we need to answer the question like okay one it didn't take vision's body where is vision's body and we find out that hayward took his body, and they have been trying to rebuild it and reconstruct it uh, for a while, it seems like. And we see the drone that Wanda just absolutely bodied in a previous episode. They are draining the magic, the residual magic from that drone and pumping it into this vision, uh, this reconstructed vision body, echoing his all white uh, post vision quest appearance. I loved it and it woke up. So we are going to get some vision on vision battling next episode. I am over the moon about this. You know, people were, you know, complaining like, oh, this felt like filler. It's all backstory. No, 
No, you're wrong. I don't care. You're wrong. This is setting the stage for a hell of a finale. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see what they do. I am just, oh man, very, very excited about this. I can't wait to see the finale. So tune in next week for the final WandaVision uh, weekly review. Very, very excited to talk about it. Um, Can't wait. So tune in next week for that. But for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's comics, we're going to take a look back at last week's comics with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And honestly, no contest for me at least it was x-men number 18 written by jonathan hickman with art by mahmoud asrar i loved seeing him back for this um no you know shade to brett booth or anything but mahmoud asrar just his art just hits different you know and I was very excited about this issue initially. I talked about it last week, where um, we're finally going to find out what happened to the Vault Trio when they went inside. And I thought this was just going to be kind of a catch-up. Like, uh, they come out, they're, like, damaged or whatever, and they're, like, telling everybody, okay, this is what happened. But no, we're getting a full-on arc, a multi-issue arc, where we are going to see exactly what happens inside of the Vault. And I absolutely love that. I'm very excited, and helps me out because no i'm still not caught up on uh ten of swords no it is not released yet the big collection for me and no i have no idea what's going on right now so this quick like hey eric take some time to get caught up on that we're gonna give you instead this time in the vault for now thumbs up a plus plus for me very excited especially with the team we got in there uh laura we got sync we got darwin i just so so good loved it uh and i can't wait for issue number 19 but that's last week's books let's talk about this week's books we got one two three four eight books for you this week uh we are starting to slowly wind down again future state was massive so many books and uh we're actually stepping into the next era for dc comics Hopefully, fingers crossed, this is going to be good. Um, But we do have some very exciting DC books. Let's go ahead and just dive into all of these books here. Starting things off with Sensational Wonder Woman number one. This is written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Megan Hetrick. This is, I think, going to be the big, like, celebration Wonder Woman book. Because Wonder Woman, I believe, is also celebrating 80 years this year. Maybe it was last year. I think it was last year. Either way, um, this is kind of going to give us, you know, what we're going to do with Wonder Woman in, you know, in this new Infinite Frontier era. So let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Chapter 1, Forget Me Not, Part 1. Celebrating Wonder Woman's 80th anniversary, Sensational Wonder Woman will explore everything that makes Wonder Woman the sensational hero she is. During a battle with Dr. Psycho, Wonder Woman sacrifices herself to stop the villain, only to be hit with a psychic blast that traps her in an alternate reality. With the help of Hawkgirl, Wonder Woman has to remember who she is before it's too late. 
I love that. I think it's, I'm always a sucker for, you know, jumping into the multiverse. So I'm very excited about this. Uh, it looks like this is going to be like the, maybe the mainline Wonder Woman book. And then there's going to be a separate like Wonder Woman family book. It's weird because we have the Bat family. We have the Superman family. Would it be like the Wonder Sisterhood? Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? But um, very excited about this. Looking forward to this for sure. Next up, another book I'm really looking forward to, Batman number 106, written by the team of James Tynion IV and George Jimenez, with a backup by Joshua Williamson and Gleb Malnikov. Uh, this is, I mean, oh my god. I'm, I'm looking at the cover right now, and that Scarecrow redesign is amazing. I love it so much. Uh, but that backup is going to be kind of the lead-in to the uh, Damian Wayne Robin uh, book that we're going to be getting later on. Uh, let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Cowardly Lot, Part 1, slash Demon or Detective, Part 1. Following the tragic events of Infinite Frontier Number 0, Batman and his new ally Ghostmaker must reckon with a new gang operating in Gotham City. But are they connected to the reemergence of the Scarecrow? Meanwhile, Shadowy billionaire Simon Saint pitches an advanced law enforcement system to the new mayor. The creative team behind the epic Joker War returns with a thrill-packed, dangerous new storyline called The Cowardly Lot. Plus, the backup story Demon or Detective begins as Damian Wayne is on the run. After everything Damien has gone through, can he escape Gotham and find his way back to where his journey started, to his mother, Talia al Ghul? This two-part tale concludes this month in Detective Comics number 1034. So yeah, really excited about this. Um, I'm just, man, I love that George Jimenez art. The Jimenez Tynan team is just killing it right now. And it's going to be a good preview to see how Williamson and Melnikov work together for Robin, which is going to be coming later down the line. Next up, I think our one Marvel book of the week, which is... King in Black, Captain America number one. This is written by Danny Lore with art by Mirko Kolak. Um, I'm not really familiar with either of those creative teams, but I will say I really enjoyed the King in Black uh, Marauders tie-in, and I've really enjoyed the uh, King in Black Daredevil tie-in so far. So hopefully this is going to continue on that track. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Black and Blue. Captain America is in a brutal battle to win the streets of Manhattan back from Null's forces, aided by the Winter Soldier and the Falcon. But there's a darkness inside Steve that he's struggling to shake. Can his closest friends help him through, or will he succumb to the shadows? So yeah, that sounds interesting. Um... I'm always down for Steve, Bucky, and Sam to be palling around and even more so fighting these like symbiote gargoyles that are attacking New York. So definitely looking forward to picking this up. Next up, we have an image book. I know I've, you know, gotten some feedback that they'd like to see me cover more independent comics as well. So uh, this one, I'm Baby Steps. I'm taking it in, but uh, first off, we have Noctera number one. This is written by Scott Snyder with art by Tony S. Daniel and Tomu Mori. 
Uh, this has been in the works for a while. Scott Snyder had, I believe, a Kickstarter going for it or a GoFundMe, something like that. Um, and they've been hyping this up for a real long time. So I'm looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Full Throttle Dark, Part 1. Ten years after the world is plunged into an everlasting night that turns all living creatures into monstrous shades, the only way to survive is to stay close to artificial light. Enter Valentina Val Riggs, a skilled ferryman who transports people and goods along deadly unlit roads with her heavily illuminated 18-wheeler. So that sounds interesting. Um... I have next to no knowledge of anything about this book, but I am super down to check it out. So looking forward to this for sure. Next up, we have Suicide Squad number one. This is written by Robbie Thompson with art by Eduardo Pansica. Uh, really looking forward to this. If you enjoyed the uh, Suicide Squad Future State book, this is going to be perfect follow-up for you. Uh, kicking off a whole new era of the Suicide Squad featuring the Peacemaker, as well as one of my favorite DC characters. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Assault on Arkham, Part 1. Things have changed for Task Force X. As Peacemaker takes over as field leader, there will be no more avenging or defending for the government's top secret task force of killers, thieves, and criminals. Amanda Waller, now back in control of the squad, sends a new squad into Arkham Asylum to recruit the deadly Court of Owls assassin Talon, while she interviews another new candidate, Superboy. So yeah, uh, I I just want Connor Kent. Connor Kent is the best. Really looking forward to this book. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Firepower number nine. This is written, of course, by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney. I love this book. You know how much I love this book. And we had a hell of a cliffhanger at the end of last issue with Owen Johnson and his new would-be attacker just flying out of a plane. So that's going to be really fun to see how they... Um, how they build on that, how they choose to resolve that. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Serpent's Omen moves in for the kill. Short, sweet, to the point. I'm really looking forward to this book for sure. Next up, we have Crime Syndicate number one. This is written by Andy Schmidt with art by Brian Hitch and Kieran McCowan. Or Kieran McCune. I'm sorry. Um, but I am very excited about this. This is a six-issue limited series, uh, basically going over this new status quo for the crime syndicate post-death metal, where the multiverse has now been reborn. Uh, let's just, God, let's just do it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The New Deal, Part One: Strange Visitor. Spinning out of the pages of Dark Knight's death metal, the multiverse is reborn, and Earth-3 with it. With this six-issue miniseries, witness the true origins of the malevolent makers of mayhem known as the Crime Syndicate, as a common foe unites them. But how long can alliances last between villains like these? Also, in this issue, it's the origin of Ultraman, in our special backup story drawn by superstar artist Brian Hitch. 
So yeah, super, super into this. Um, I'm assuming that because it is six issues and we have uh, six members of the Crime Syndicate, each issue is going to have a backup featuring the origin of these characters. So we've got Ultraman, Owlman, Power Ring, looks like Atomica, Superwoman, and I think that's Johnny Quick. Um, we'll have to see. He could be a couple different characters based on his design, but really looking forward to this. I'm a sucker for Crime Syndicate. You know how much I've talked about like, oh, evil Superman, such a bad take, but not when it's this evil Superman who is legit created to be an evil Superman, not making Superman evil. I dig the crime syndicate, really looking forward to this book. But of course, the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, especially if you're a DC fan and especially if you want to know what's going on with DC going forward, is Infinite Frontier number zero. I've talked before about all the creators attached to this, creators like Scott Snyder, Bendis, Jeff Johns, Becky Cloonan, Joshua Williamson, and more with artists like Joel Jones. We've got artists like Jamal Eagle, Alex Malev, David Marquez, so many creators, so many stories. I just, I freaking, I'm excited for this. I'm hoping that this is going to be a big push like Rebirth was to kind of right the ship, but we will just have to see. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The next phase of the DC Universe begins here. Dark Knight's death metal presented the darkest threats of the multiverse. DC Future State revealed what may lie ahead. Now, it's time to look into the infinite frontier of the current day DC Universe. In Gotham City, the Joker jolts citizens awake with an attack even the Dark Knight never expected. In Brazil, a young woman discovers her destiny and her connection to the Amazons. In Bel Rev, Amanda Waller plots an invasion of Arkham Asylum. In the far reaches of space, Mongol dreams of galactic domination while the Green Lantern Corps hosts a summit of its greatest enemies. At the Hall of Justice, the League joins forces with Black Adam. Beyond the mortal world, Wonder Woman settles into a new role in the Godsphere. And somewhere in the DC Universe, it's the return of Stargirl. In an all-new tale written by Jeff Johns, this oversized all-star issue kicks off the next great era of storytelling and excitement, as top writers and artists reveal what's next for the world's greatest heroes and opens the door for some of the greatest stories of 2021. So, that's a mouthful. Um, but yeah, this is, this is going to be your guidebook. If you are looking to dive in to DC Comics, if you're looking to dive back into DC Comics, this is the book for you if you want to know what's going on. So definitely check this out. And that is going to wrap up this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Sensational Wonder Woman number 1, Batman number 106, King in Black, Captain America number 1, Noctera number 1, Suicide Squad number 1, Firepower number 9, Crime Syndicate number 1, and of course, in Infinite Frontier number zero. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice. We drop episodes 
every single Wednesday. Uh, feel free to give us a rating and review on those podcasting platforms as well. It really does help us out. Uh, helps me out. Subscriptions, ratings and reviews help the podcast out and kind of raise our stock in the podcasting space and get us out in into the orbit of listeners just like you. Uh, also, if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple, on, uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever they want to call it, uh, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write whatever you'd like. You give me that five-star rating and review, I'll read it here. You can join the likes of our four horsemen, that being Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, and Burrito Man 88 I want to say a big thank you to these fine gentlemen for their reviews, and I can't wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want to give me uh, a quick pitch, you want to get some recommended reading, feel free to send emails to geeksplain at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read them here, and I will answer any questions you may have. If you want to follow us, want to keep up to date with the podcast participate in polls that decide future episodes or just kind of shoot back and forth on what the uh, newest geek culture news is feel free to follow us on twitter and instagram at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained pod and that's pretty much going to do it for this week's episode. I'm very excited about the prospect of a black superman film i'm very excited about I mean, just having Ta-Nehisi Coates and J.J. Abrams working on it together, I think is going to be really fun and a great, uh, hopefully, a great improvement on the treatment of Superman in film for the past, like, decade or so. But who knows? We don't know exactly what's going to go on. I know there's already been a bunch of pushback and backlash for it, but it's, it's from people who don't just, they don't get it. Like, I can understand, like, people being like, well, it's not really, like, what I, I you know, traditionally want a Clark Kent Superman film. And I love Clark Kent Superman. He's, he's my guy. He's my favorite superhero. But we're also, at the same time, getting an awesome Superman TV series that just got picked up for a second season after only its first premiere episode. Um... So I am very much okay with telling other super stories on film. So we'll just have to see what happens with it. But um, if you haven't noticed, this is episode 149. That makes next week's episode, episode 150. And not only that... Next week's episode is our three-year anniversary. This podcast has been going for three years, folks. And I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been with us on this ride, whether you are a day one listener or you just hopped on recently. I appreciate you. I think the world of every single person who chooses to take any time out of their day to just listen to me ramble about the stuff that I am passionate about. So thank you very much for listening. Can't wait until next week for episode 150, our three-year anniversary episode. Ah, very excited about that. Uh, So tune in next week for that episode, Same Geek Time, Same Geek Channel. Also, real quick, want to plug a little bit of our uh, Geeksplain Extra series, our 
our Into the Snyderverse series that we are doing every single Sunday, dropping two episodes each. Uh, this past weekend, we dropped episodes for Shazam and Birds of Prey. And this weekend, we're giving the entire day over to Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, my co-hosts, AJ Kincaid and Chris Carter, we had a lot to say about this film, so I'm very excited to talk about it. Look forward to that on Sunday. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will... See you next time.